At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This ain't a team that's having fistfights on the sidelines. This ain't some clown show organization or something else. Okay? You talk about the foundation built. You talk about things that are, the toughest thing to change in a team. The toughest thing to change in a club is the way people think. And if we don't play well, every fan has a right to boom up the stadium. You got that? That don't bother me. When I walk off the field at after the last game, whenever that is, I want to feel like, do we have a chance to win a Super Bowl with this group? Does this group give us a chance to win the Super Bowl? Are we moving in that direction? But in terms of the next step to take, I can tell you right now, okay, I know we're a whole lot closer to where we're going than we are further away. I can tell you that right now. Many a Giants fan would say, yes, we are a lot closer right now than we were because we have excised from the organization Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. Good morning. The news broke late yesterday afternoon, actually during PFT PM. We had to scrap the outline. Whoa. We always appreciate when these things happen during one of our shows. It's exciting, but it also gives us a chance to react to it in real time instead of having to reconvene, put the bat signal out, get everybody back together again like we had to do on Monday. You weren't here on Monday. Miles Simmons and I had to scramble because three coaches got fired after the show was over. Yeah, so anybody out there right. thinking, about, thinking about firing your coach this morning, Please do it before 9 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, make it convenient say, for Florio. That's right. <laughs> do it by 8.45 to give us 15 minutes to talk about it so we don't have to get back together. Hey, I'm thinking of you, Chris. You don't want to come back. You don't want to deal with me for more than two hours. Uh, you don't a, want to deal with me for more than two minutes. You're right. I don't. It, uh, but it's the, it's, it's the price of the job. I could deal with it if we got to do it. it. It's okay. I'll be here in the building all day anyways. But like, so what? So when you, when it went down yesterday, PFD, PM, you were, you were with Shireen, obviously, right? Like what? what? Miles. Oh, it was no, Miles. Shireen. Sorry. Yeah, Shireen. Shireen. No, it was Shireen. It's Miles today. Okay. It's so, Miles so, today, uh, Shireen what was What was the initial reaction once you heard the news come down? Because, yeah, it, it, first off, it was a little weird or... Or different that it was, you know, 48 hours, two days later after, and you know, the NFL season's over. Uh, that made it a little different than all the other ones. But what was your reaction? 
Well, what struck me after we talked it through for a few minutes, it reminded me of situations during games where they're doing a replay review and it's taking forever. And at some point, somebody realizes if it's taking this long, maybe we already know the answer (laughs) to the question. And I felt like that's what was happening with the Giants. It was taking so long for them to find a way to yes, they eventually decided, no, we're not going to continue with Joe Judge. I believe they wanted to keep Joe Judge. I believe that at a minimum... They wanted to let the next GM figure out what to do with Joe Judge. The more cynical view was they were going to handpick a GM who would have said, oh, Joe Judge, yes, oh, I'm all in with Joe Judge. And I think that whatever misfired in his brain that caused him to go on that 11-minute rant 10 days ago and then just kind of continued like – Sometimes you put people under extreme stress and pressure and they crumble. Sometimes you put them under extreme stress and pressure and they flourish and they thrive. And, you know, this is one of the reasons that I think nobody fired their coach with the two-week head start to interview assistants from other teams. You get coaches performing under extreme extreme pressure and stress, you're going to have some stuff bubble up that's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. And for Judge, what bubbled up was very bad. Yeah. What bubbled up... Well, you know, people are joking, oh, he was trying to get fired. Well, there, there are other ways to try to get fired without painting yourself as a clown, as a buffoon, as somebody who is now unemployable going forward. He is far closer to Ben McAdoo than Brian Flores from the standpoint of Joe Judge getting hired by somebody else to be a head coach. There's going to be a, a lot of reclamation that has to be done to get Joe Judge a second shot. Some guys get a second shot. Some guys don't. He exits the Giants, Chris, in my mind, in the some guys don't category, largely because of what happened over the course of the last week and a half. I don't disagree with that. It'll it'll take a lot of repairing, you know, as far as just his image and, and going back to the drawing board and how he's viewed and the perception by the public, you know, the NFL owners, coaches. You're right. I don't think it'll be a long time before we ever hear his name, if ever, uh, as far as head coaching conversation. I'm with you there. You know, I mean, hey, there's mistakes. You know, the stacks, the, the stack was, was stacked. You know, the, the stack was, what, what did I want to, the deck was, stack stacked was decked against, against him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Go ahead and say it. The stack was decked against him. <laughs> that's yes. That's bad. You don't want that. Right. The deck was stacked against him in a lot of ways. We know that. But I think the point, you know, and, and to what you said, there's three things that I think that really jump out to me about where, you know, things went wrong for Joe Judge. First off, hey, you could sit there and go, the first thing that jumps out to me would be the coaching staff a little bit. You know, Jason Garrett, people, everybody basically on everything about the Giants coaching staff other than, you know, maybe uh, Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator. But that certainly was an issue, let alone that. And then that led to, you know, lackluster results on the football field. I don't think that helped his perception, you know, in the New York tri-state area with Giant fans, certainly. But I think even with the the deck stacked against him, I I, I do think when we were coming down the home stretch here, Thanksgiving weekend, early December. I know there was reports, you know, a few weeks ago. Joe Judge, you know, it looks like he'll be back as a Giants head Shefty. coach. Shefty, no, right, no, not even that. It was stronger than that. Shefty says he's back. Right, Shefty I, says he's back. I, I, hey, I, at old takes exposed. Uh, Shefty said he was back. Yeah, no, and, and listen, I feel a few other people did too, but but I believe I believe them. I, I believe at that point that, he, that that all signs and all all things were going in that direction. And then came the day, the day that you're talking about. To me, that's where it all flipped. You're right. Backed into a corner, people questioning, 
ugly loss, all of a sudden feeling a little insecure, and the 11-minute rant started the downfall of the Joe Judge era here, and, and it was a quick downfall. So you have that the, the deck stacked against him going into that. Now an 11-minute rant that, like you said, you know, everybody here in this area is a clown show. It's a clown show. That's what, that's what all anybody could say. He has that. And then go on the field and have more lackluster performances by the football team where it's not even competitive. And then to me, the final dagger, and I think we talked about this a little bit, is the QB sneak last week. I, again, perception is reality and the optics of all of that, the 11-minute rant, third and nine. We're not like on the one-yard line. We're on the four, and we're an NFL professional football team, and we're going to run the quarterback sneak on third and nine. Listen, even if it did work out, it's one of those where you got to realize as a head coach, wait, can I really do this, or am I giving the fan base, owners, everything, another jump-off spot about – this is how crappy things here are with the Giants. We can't even drop back to throw the ball or run a draw on third and nine. We're just going to run a quarterback sneak. To me, the last two things were the, the downfall or the demise of Joe Judge for sure. Put the nail in the coffin where, you know, there might have been thoughts about putting him in the coffin before that. That, that finally did it. Here's what John Merrick, co-owner of the New York Giants, had to say yesterday. Steve Tisch, the other co-owner of the team and I both believe it's in the best interest of our franchise to move in another direction. We met with Joe yesterday afternoon to discuss the state of the team. I met again with Joe this afternoon and it was during that conversation I informed Joe of our decision. We appreciate Joe's efforts on behalf of the organization. I said before the season started I wanted to feel good about the direction we were headed when we played our last game of the season. Unfortunately I cannot make that statement which is why we have made this decision. We will hire a general manager and that person will lead the effort to hire a new head coach why did it take two days I think they were scrambling searching groping for a reason to keep Joe Judge or a plan that would have allowed them to hire a GM who would keep Joe Judge I think that was the plan all along but they realized it was untenable and it may have been impossible to hire a general manager who was going to walk through the door and say yeah let's keep Joe Judge and I look like an idiot on my way through the door for being the one to say thumbs up to Joe Judge. There's a puppet regime element to the Giants organization that's become more and more apparent to me in recent weeks. Yeah. Where the the Mara's and and Steve Tisch to a certain extent, but it's mainly Mara. Mara and his brother and his nephew are running the show there and you have to submit to that. And you know, good luck finding the right GM and then finding the right head coach when it's obvious that these guys are very involved. And what has it brought the Giants? Ben McAdoo for almost two years, Pat Shermer for two years, and Joe Judge for two years. That's unbelievable. And, that, that to me, like, and, and, you have to say that, like, that, the New York Giants, three coaches in a row, the New York football Giants, one of the top-tier organizations of football, three coaches, two-year lifespan for all three of them. That's why I think it took 48 hours, Mike, to your point. Because I think they were probably going, are we really about to do this again? Like, wait, let's sleep on it or something. Because, like, this is unbelievable. We're coming to this determination again. And, of course, you know, they had to do what they had to do there. And it, it's, it, it is the right decision at this point. But it's just amazing. Mike, I'm sorry. Just as a Giant fan, of course, you know me growing up, the Mara family, who I have a lot of respect for. It's, it's, 
Uh, it's uh, I'm troubled by it. It just it stinks as a Giant fan. Can we put the graphic back up that shows the past six seasons for the New York Giants? Because something caught my eye there. Yeah. The first of those years, the first iteration under Ben McAdoo right. worked. Right. They went 11-5. and Because I thought earlier, the only way you're going to have success as a coach of the Jets or the Giants, sustained success, is to get lucky right out of the gates and win right out of the gates. And even then it can quickly fall apart. I mean, I think that this is a byproduct, Giants and Jets, of being in such a massive media market where there's so much scrutiny, so much attention. It gets the fan base fired up. Yep. The talk radio goes bonkers. Right. And and it's impossible to weather the storm that you can weather in other cities. In other cities, when the adversity strikes... You can hunker down, circle the wagons, keep your head low, keep your mouth shut, and just kind of get through it until you get out on the other side and you start winning some games again. With the Giants and the Jets, now, the Giants were able to do it with Tom Coughlin and before that with Jim Fossil, but they were good more often That's than not. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When, when, you, when you have a disastrous season, I feel like in New York, it accelerates the extent to which everything disintegrates, whereas... Houston, you can get away with it. Chicago, you can even get away with it because they're so damn used to it now. Minnesota, you can get away with it. Other cities, you can get away with it. In New York, it's so big, it's so intense, it's so loud, it's so unrelenting, it's so pervasive that you can't survive it. And so they have to throw, you know, a body to the crowd to to shut everybody up. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- yeah. I feel like that's a real factor for the Jets and the Giants. I, I think I don't think you're wrong there. I mean, it's cutthroat. It is. It's, it's it's unbelievable how quickly people can pile on up here in this area. You know, it, it is. It's the nature of the the New York way there. You know, and 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 you know, to your point, and to a little what you're talking about. I mean, that's kind of what happened to Tom Coughlin, and he had, of course, won two Super Bowls. Yeah, and then there was you know a great year after the Super Bowl that ended up in a playoff loss, and then a few years of eh, but like. You know, the, the the fans had had enough at that point, and they overthrew him. That's why, I mean, Ben McAdoo had that first-year success. The team was still kind of Tom Coughlin-ish and had talent on it. You know, But but your your point's real. I mean, hey, we can go back to this year. There's certain points where the New York Jets, Zach Wilson, uh, Mike White came in and threw a bunch of four-yard passes, and they were ready to throw their second pick out the door <laughs> for Mike White. Screw him. He didn't look good enough. We loved him all these first few weeks to hell with him. So to your point, I don't think you're wrong there. And, and it is. When it starts to snowball, it snowballs out of control. And the start of the snowball was the 11-minute. Well, there was a mini snowball already. And then the 11-minute rant happened. And then it became like, wait, is this the top of a snowman? Or is this the snowball? And then, and then the quarterback sneak came, and then it became, oh my gosh, we got a full fledged issue here, and it just talk radio, everything up here exploded. I mean, you you can't go anywhere without talking football with somebody, without somebody talking about the Giants, Joe Judge, and the debacle of the last few weeks. I think we're onto something. I actually think we're onto something here. I'm looking at the Giants' records every year in a stack at ProFootballReference.com all the way back to the one-year failed experiment with Ray Handley yeah. after Bill Parcells right. stepped down. Right. Dan Reeves shows up in 93 yeah. and is 11-5 and five right out of the gates, 9-7 and seven the next year. But then what happens? Two years. 
Five and eleven, six and ten, out the door. No patience. Right. Five and eleven, six and ten, can't have that. Never mind the fact that you were eleven and five and nine and seven. Yeah. Two bad years, you're gone. That's it. We can't continue. In comes Jim Fossil. Fossil right out of the gates. Ten, five and one. Finished first in the division, and they continued eight and eight, seven and nine. Okay, we get past seven and nine. Uh, 12 and four, seven and nine, 10 and six. Good enough. Good enough. Good right, enough. Right. Then comes one bad year. Yeah. Four and 12. Right. One bad year. Right. Out goes Jim Fossil. Yeah. In comes Coughlin and Coughlin was good every year. 11 and five his first year, eight and eight in 2006. But what was the perception in 2007? He was on the hot seat. Yeah. On the hot seat. How right. dare you go eight and eight, right. Tom Coughlin? Right. You're on the hot seat. They win the Super Bowl. Then they, you know, they're, they're not spectacular, but they're still 12 and four, eight and eight, 10 and six, nine and seven, nine and seven. Those, those are good enough. Yes. Seven and nine. All it took to get Tom Coughlin run out the door was one seven and nine season after non-losing seasons every year yeah. other than his first season when they were six and ten in the aftermath of the right. Jim Fossil fiasco. So I look, Giants fans, Jets fans, Giants media, Jets media, talking heads, everybody up there, this is your fault. It really is. Y'all are too freaking impatient. You got to let some of these guys have a chance. Sure. You can't just, and, and this also requires greater resolve and leadership and determination by ownership. There has to be a point where John Mara is willing to be caricatured on the back page of the New York Post, where John Mara is willing to stand up at a press conference and say in a loud, clear voice, what is right and true and proper for his football team. And everybody else needs to shut the hell up. Look at the track record that we've had. Look at the track record Tom Coughlin's had. Why in the hell do you want us to fire Tom Coughlin yeah. after 179 yeah. season? Look at what the guy's done for us. Right. Look at what he's done for us. Right. Have you lost your damn minds? So after Coughlin, that's when we get into this whole, oh, hey, great year with Ben McAdoo. Great year, even with the big suit and all the goofy stuff. Great yeah. year, they get to the playoffs. Right. Right. And they lose the game to the to the Packers. And it all falls apart. It's it's been a it all falls apart because the fan base gets mad that, that he benches Eli Manning. Unbelievable. That's where that fell apart. The fan base got right. mad because oh, he right. benched Eli Manning. That's where it all fell apart right there. He was done forever and benched him for Geno Smith. So that was like, whoa, you're gonna bench Eli for Jets trash, and that that started. Do you think? That. Do but, you think yeah. Ben McAdoo did that, or do you think that John Mara told him to do that? Well, I I think that that was a want of the coaching staff, and probably was finally signed off by John Mara. And now, listen, the the point you made earlier already. I mean, yes, the Mara family, their fingerprints are all over the Giants organization. There's no doubt about it. You know, and yes, you know, you know me. I got great respect for the family. I'm not gonna say many negative things about about that family there but yeah there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen that's certainly you know adding adding some layers of you know things you got to figure out within this organization the fact that their family is involved in so many different areas that's a real thing I'm not trying to be a jerk or critical of them those are just the facts of the matter so yeah that's you know uh, maybe led to you know rash decisions maybe here what we've seen you know as far as McAdoo Shermer I don't I don't fault them. I don't think to your to like what you're saying here where maybe we maybe we as Giants fans push John Fossils out of the way and Dan Reeves and and Tom Coughlin out of the way too quick quickly. 
I don't think they did that with these these other coaches. And I, I certainly don't think you're thinking they should make that stand right now with Joe Judge. Uh, I, I do think I'll give them credit in the fact that it didn't look right with McAdoo or Shermer. And, of course, didn't look right towards the end here with Joe Judge, you know, the last half of the season to where, you know, this is one where I'm, I'm not mad at him for, you know, rip the Band-Aid off, take your lumps. This is this is the way it's got to be right now because, I like to John Mara's point, you know, we ended the season here. Things aren't going in the right direction. There's issues. And uh, I don't think this is one of those times you make those stand. At least, you at least uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think there? Well, well, well the, the problem is yeah. it just looks like every other I know. I time know. that they caved to public pressure. This was a time they needed to. Right. This was a time where they tried to muster the resolve not to. And after two days of meetings... They decided we can't do it. I mean, if if Judge ranted publicly like he did 10 days ago, I can only imagine how he conducted himself in the private meetings with ownership when he was trying to convince them to keep him around. He just became his own worst enemy when he was placed under extreme pressure and duress. The, the, the good didn't come out. The clown is what came out. And I, I say that with all due respect and discretion, but that's what we saw. We saw a guy under extreme pressure not step up. If anything, it all fell apart. It made it more obvious that they needed to move on from Joe Judge. But why did they hire Joe Judge in the first place? This isn't some guy that came in highly touted. This isn't a guy who was at the top of the A-list. I mean, one of the reasons why I think he fades away and never returns is because he was guy who came out of nowhere. Yeah. When guy who comes right. out of nowhere fails, right. the, the reaction isn't, chance. well, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be great somewhere else. No. The reaction is yeah. idiots. Why'd you ever hire him? And he that, gets painted true. with that stigma for the rest of his career. There's yeah. too many other good coaches out there who will be truly on the short list of the, the guys who, who will become head coaches for Joe judge ever. To rise up, what's he going to do? He'd go back and be a great special teams coordinator, and that's going to convince someone else to give him a head coaching job when they never hire special teams coordinators. Almost never. You got to be an offensive coordinator, yeah, more often than not, to get a, another shot. Sometimes defensive, but it's mainly offensive that you have to be an expert and prove yourself again to get another shot, or have done well enough in your time as a head coach like Brian Flores, where there's a thought you're going to land somewhere else immediately if you want to. I mean, judge, judge is done, and. Uh, 10 and 23, third worst winning percentage in franchise history. He's done. He's done. Yeah, and now the Giants is. have to figure out how the hell do they attract the right candidates knowing, because I, I assume people who are under consideration for these jobs understand what we understand, that you're going to be micromanaged. You know, unless you go in there with the force of personality to tell the mayors to get the hell out, just get the hell out, keep an office. We want you here so we don't have a Stephen Ross situation in Miami. But we don't want you involved in football. Yeah, we don't want Chris right. Merritt. What's Chris? What, what's Chris Merritt ever done to be a VP of player personnel other than be a VP of player personnel when the title was handed to him by his brother? What, what, what's the nephew ever done to have a job like nothing? You just you're part of ownership. I understand. So you do yeah. it, right? And maybe at maybe it maybe you know like Jerry Jones after 30 years you figure it out because you've got 30 years of on the job experience at a job you never should have had. But if they really want to turn this around, they need to tell all the people in the front office who have contributed to the current situation of the team to sit down and shut up and let the adults run this thing. Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. I don't. I, I do think that, you know, for, for, for a guy, again, as a Giants fan that watches that team closely, yeah, I'd love to see them get a GM who 
you know, we know how to, and we know knows how to put the proper system and infrastructure in place to set up, you know, optimum, you know, optimum potential as far as the draft, free agency, the marriage. You want to be involved, but you can't. You can't. You, you got to just kind of be a part of the conversation. You can't be like, no, this is what I think we got to do, or we got to do this. Yes, to your point, you got to let the football guys do this, and of course, you can observe and add add your two cents. You know, onto that. You know, there is knowledge in that family. They've been around the game, like you said, for a long, long time. So there is that aspect. But I do also go back to sometimes going, you know, wait, you know, Mara family, come on. You're smart enough to realize and awesome enough to realize that, like, look at it. Like the 80s, the 90s, when the Giants were going in the right direction, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, Mara cooks in the kitchen telling George Young and Bill Parcells how to run the football team. And that's where things started to go on the up and up. You know, the football people were running it. You know, Wellington and, and John Mara and them were there and they were understanding of everything that was going on and probably adding their two cents. But it was Parcells and George Young. And that's where it went. And that's where the Giants franchise flourished. flourished. And I feel like, yes, that got lost a little bit along the way to a degree. And, yes, the family has gotten involved in more. And maybe that's because it's been different coaches and there's just no stability there to where maybe that's where they got involved. But, yeah, I, as a fan, I hope that that's what they can get back to a little bit is let's let a guy come in, a GM guy that we know is a real football guy, you know, tried and true, has a real system to evaluate. We get a head coach in here. We're here in the background. We add two cents every now and then, but we let them do their thing. I'm, I'm all for that, at least as, as far as what you're talking about here. It's one of the things I love about the National Football League. You've got multi-billion dollar football operations with all the state-of-the-art systems and procedures and the coaches and it's detailed and the analytics are weaved into it now. And those multi-billion dollar football operations are owned by monarchies. They are. Families who pass the team down from generation to generation. And the reality is... For the family-owned franchises, and it gets harder and harder with each passing generation because the estate taxes can be outlandish and you have to do very careful planning to be sure that you don't have to sell the team. And we've seen multiple families have to sell a team. But sometimes what happens is you keep passing that team down. You eventually pass it to a generation that doesn't have the chops to properly own and operate the team. And this is what you're going to get. This, 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 what we have right Wellington, Wellington knew what he was doing since Wellington. Now look, they got the two Super Bowls under Tom Coughlin. Yeah. And as time goes by, it becomes more incomprehensible how they won those two Super Bowls. I mean, I know Eli Manning played out of his mind, but just the idea that they had two Super Bowl runs in our lifetime, relatively I, recent yeah. lifetime, is astounding yeah. when you consider where they are right now. Yeah. But, but I think it was more along Steelers, that formula you were talking Bear, about, though, where it was well, Coughlin right. was running the show, the GM was running the show, Ernie Corsi was Ernie running Acorsi. the show. Ernie right. yeah. They yeah, The Maras were there, but the football people were running the show, and the Maras were there to add their two cents and a little logic here and there. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. My bad, man. No, no, no. Yeah. So now what I'm struggling to figure out, yeah. because we accept the fact that as we pass teams from family to family, generation to generation, you, you are going to hit a rough spot from time to time. It's inevitable. Right. Not everybody right. who emerges naturally into that family is going to be able to run the team the way that it needs to be run. What do they need to do now then? I've seen the names of the general managers, and this is what's become 
the latest cycle for hiring general managers. It's a sometimes obscure personnel people that the casual fan has never even heard of who are getting these interviews. Some names are recognizable. Some are guys who have been working their way through the pipeline. I, you know, I think they need a badass to go in there with a track record. The, 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 it's the general manager industry in the NFL is so weird. Like you get one chance. Yeah, that's, that's a weird one. No, you only no get matter, one. no right. matter how well you do. Right. Once it fails, you're done, and you never get another chance. And right. that's weird. Yes. Isn't that weird? It is. They they need they need somebody who walks through the door with real admiration, real respect, real accomplishments, who can take over the right personality to take over and begin the process of turning it around and be someone, if the mayors don't want to do it or can't do it, whoever's in charge of the football operation needs to be the one who is able to keep Talk radio, New York Post, Daily News, all the conduits there that get the fans riled up, calm everybody down, and get them to be patient because this is going to take some time. We have to stop this cycle of throwing people out the door after every year or two. But you have to have some results, too, to get them to buy in. you got, you got to you know, shore up the offensive line. you got to have a quarterback who who is trending toward being pretty good. You, you've got to do some things. you got to give them something to get them yeah, to be patient. Some hope. But yeah, they, right. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know who. Good luck, Giants. Good luck finding somebody who is going to be the right person to turn this thing around. I, I, don't, I don't know who that would be. But I, the, the, the usual cycle of dropping out of the sky a general manager that the fans say, who the hell is that? I don't think that's going to work. No, I, 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 I hear you. The, the real thing is, though, is just who's out there right now. And, and again, I, I got to think about this a little, too, just as far as guys that would, you know, line up to what you're talking about. That's been there, done that. That's been a part of it. You know, that, that, that's to me where, you know, just again, off the top of my head, this part kind of caught me, you know, off guard a little. I, I can't think of anybody right off the bat that I think of and just go, Wait, this guy did something special. He's been out, you know, as a GM for a few years, and you know, maybe maybe he wants to get back in. You know, that that's where I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't I don't see it, and I don't know. Maybe, I but but like, you know, what I always look at for GMs more than anything is guys that come from places that have just built a team that has success, and I know that's why we're talking about some guys out of Tennessee. You know, there's there's two viable candidates there. You know, we got a guy from Buffalo, a guy from the Kansas City Chiefs where, okay, I understand that those teams have, you know, they've turned it around the Tennessee Titans in a short period of time. I think there is some badasses down there that understand how to build a football team. You know, same with the Bills. The Chiefs, of course, have been on top of the mountain for a while, even before Mahomes. They were a good football team. You know, there's been a lot of really good GMs come out of there and smart minds come out of there. You know, that that would be, of course, a place I'd look at and go, man, anybody coming from Kansas City's got a clue. There's like a, a tree of smart people that have come out of there, and that's why they've been relevant for the last 10 years in the NFL. Um, but, that, yeah, I mean, their work's cut out for them. But I hear you with that guy that's been, like, around. You know, you'd want to find maybe, you know, to, to what you're talking about, you know, Kevin Colbert with the Steelers, right? I mean, I know it's it sounds like maybe he's coming to an end there as the GM after the year, after the draft. But somebody like that, I think, is what you're talking about. A guy that's been there, done that, built a winner, and 
the fan base can get behind, uh, I think that's where you're going with this. But I just don't know those guys that are out there right now that they could honestly get or realistically get. There was talk last year of the Lions making a play for John Schneider under the argument that Schneider doesn't have full and complete final say right. and he could be plucked away from the Seahawks without compensation. And I remember when that first came out, and I need to go back and refresh my recollection on this, but I think I did the research on what it takes to fall into the category of being a general manager who can't be immediately plucked away. And I think I came to the conclusion that Schneider's title and responsibilities are enough that the Seahawks don't would be able to say, yeah, sorry, right, we, 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 don't, right. we don't have to let you go. And I think somebody was pushing Schneider to get his extension with the Seahawks and so fed NFL media a line of crap, frankly. I'm remembering this now as it comes back to me. I remember being very irritated that NFL media pushed something that was just factually inaccurate that Schneider could have been plucked away. So what I have lingering in my brain is this idea that Schneider could have been plucked away. He couldn't have been. But, you know, there could be a guy like that out there. Yeah, And right. And, you know, I know of one guy like that out there. I know of one, and that's John Lynch. Now, um, he, now, now again, we'd have to get into the weeds to see what his job actually is, but the perception is he works for Kyle Shanahan. He sets the table for Kyle Shanahan, and Shanahan's got final say. So maybe the 49ers could stop him if they wanted to, but, but yeah, now, has Lynch done enough that, that he would walk through the door with the level of respect and deference that's necessary? I don't, I don't know. I yeah. don't know that he's done enough right. to, to get there and get to that point. But uh, he would have that that mindset and personality, yeah, right, right, where he could he you know he would crack some heads if he needs to. I know what you literally mean, literally yeah. or figuratively. Right. So I don't know. I I it's it's hard it's hard to find somebody that the fan base is going to say ooh ooh, and that is also going to have the chops to do the job. They're going to have a hard time finding the right person. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an extensive search here, hopefully, but it's. Uh... Yeah, they got to get a guy that, of course, has a vision as far as how they want the team built, has an idea of like a kind of coach they want to come into town and how do they want to work with him and what's the kind of team they envision together that they want to build. And then, listen, I, I think you're spot on, too. You know, it's New York. Winning the press conference is a big deal. It's a real thing. I mean, that's why Bill Parcells is a legend here in, in this area. He won – not only did he win on Sunday – you know, he'd come in on Monday and he'd win the press conference there too. And you just go, man, he's the man. Is he the king of New York or what? I mean, that's just, that's, you got to have that guy. Yes, it's, it's just part of the job. A guy that can handle the scrutiny, can be the bad guy at times, you know, can talk back to the New York media a little bit in a way to like make the point. You know, there's got to be a guy with a little bit of that type of cachet and confidence and cockiness uh, to come in here and, and do that job. Uh, but, but, yeah, I don't know where it goes, and I'm going to think about it a little more because now you got me on the, the track of a little bit of like, wait, is there guys out there that were missing that did well, you know? But like, you know, again, for example, and I'm not saying this should be the guy, you know, but, but names of like, yeah, is there a Thomas Dimitrov off there where you go, wait, there was a lot of good things he did in Atlanta. I know it, it's over, but he did build something there. I'm not saying he should be the guy, but is there more of those type of scenarios that there were missing that maybe they could be the guy to come in and, and handle, you know, the New York media and get this thing back on track. Well, Dimitrov walked through the door in 2008 and drafted Matt Ryan, who's still the starting quarterback in 2022 right. of the Atlanta Falcons. They 
They had a team Julio Jones and did made a move. Traded there. up. Traded made, up. Made the right? big trade He's up still playing against football. Right. Against the advice of Bill Belichick, traded up to get Julio Jones. Um, he now they had a team that that developed a reputation for blowing leads in the postseason, and then that culminated in obviously Super Bowl Fifty One, the twenty eight to three lead that was held over the Patriots before it fell apart. But now I don't know about. Two things. One, does he have that? He's he's more cerebral and calculated. Yeah, I got you. Than he is parcels in your face. Yes, sit down right. and shut up. But, right. but but maybe I don't know. Maybe that's the. Maybe you got to play chess and not arm wrestle to to win the press conference in New York at this point. I don't know. But there aren't a lot of guys that fall into that category of no. somebody who's done it. Oh no, right, and still. Is you know most of, most of the guys who are doing well are still employed. Exactly. Hey, it'd be great to get Eric DaCosta. He's still employed. You know, it'd be great to get Schneider. He's still employed. Uh, it'd be great. To, it'd be great to get Gutekunst. He's still employed. The the good ones stay employed. But then when it gets to the point where it's time for a change, you know, even Rick Spielman. Now I don't know how Rick Spielman would do with the New York media, and he never took a team to a Super Bowl, but he survived for 16 years in Minnesota, and you know. I, you could do you could do worse and have done worse over the past ten years than Rick Spielman. No, in New York, yeah, you but, could, you could, you just gotta. But I think to yeah. your point, if you're gonna do go down that road, you better have a guy that's like got something to show for it a little bit because the right. New York fans and media is gonna pelt on the horse. Yeah, they they need something like that because the New York fans and media are gonna jump on that. And if you don't go that route, then you go to places where you know, wait, they got like a real history of knowing how to build football teams and. There's something there, you know, and again, that's where we go to Kansas City, Buffalo, Tennessee. There's a reason there. You know, there's a reason we see people come out of Philadelphia and Baltimore a lot. I mean, gosh, it's it's been it's 20 years of the team being good. There's obviously something they're doing that is a systematic approach that makes sense in those organizations. I do think when you get people from those type of organizations that have been consistently winners, even though they might have, you know, not a, a marquee name. The fan base can get behind it to go, wait, okay, wait. Oh, this guy was he was there. All right, yeah, they they built something in a hurry there. He must know what he's doing a little bit, or at least, you know, have some knowledge about what it takes. And and that I believe the fan base can get behind too. And the problem is if you turn over enough stones and you find a guy that fits that mold, does he really want to take that job if he's offered an opportunity to go elsewhere to a team where he doesn't have to complicate his life with this necessity and urgency to deal with the New York media, an impatient fan base, and the possibility that it all crumbles on him far more quickly than it would somewhere else. You need to be up for that challenge. You need to want to embrace that challenge. Yeah. That's part of the personality type. Right. You got to have the skill set to do it, and you got to have the desire to engage in sword play with the likes of Mike Francesa for 45 minutes with no break on WFAN if he was still there. But that's the kind of stuff you got to be able to do, and you got to be able to win those battles. And you got to be able to get the fan base to side with you and not with the people that are asking you the questions when there is acrimony and hostility and reason for angst among those who cover the team and those who follow the team. It's not going to be easy. They are in a tough, tough spot. And maybe that's one of the reasons they wanted to try to keep Joe Judge. They thought, you know, ultimately with time, it's kind of like what Jerry Jones thought about Jason Garrett. Like, we're going we're gonna to mold this guy into a good coach. See, that's a problem. You don't have the luxury in New York 
to mold a guy into what he could become. You got to find somebody who can walk through the door right now and take over. They, they almost, and, and this, this was thrown out there by Gary Myers a few years ago when we, we, we had reports of issues with Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft over Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady. Yeah. The idea of Belichick going to the Giants. Yeah, was put right. Out that there. was a little thing there. Yeah. That's what, that's what they need. Now, it is I don't think like it would that. do it. Yeah, right. No, I don't it, think so either now, but yes. It was told to me, it was told to me at the time, and I think this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That it would take five years for Belichick to get with any other team what he has in New England from the standpoint right. of coaches, systems, technologies, and yeah, everything. Right. And so uh at this age getting close to 70, he's not going to want to spend five years getting to where he already is. If he's going to keep coaching, it makes every bit of sense for him to keep coaching where he currently is because it's exactly where he wants it to be. But but that's what that's what the Giants should want. You make the phone call, and there's a system for this, and it doesn't happen nearly as much as it should. This is a chapter in my book, Playmakers, that comes out March 15, which actually it's, it felt like it was a long-ass time. It's getting closer and closer. Mm-hmm. But the idea that the concept of trading for an established coach, that doesn't happen nearly as often as it should. It happened with John Gruden, obviously. It happened with Herm Edwards at a time when the Jets were going to fire him anyway, and the the Chiefs showed up and threw a a draft pick or two their direction. There may be one other time where it happened. It almost happened with Jim Harbaugh from the 49ers to the Browns eight years ago, now nine years ago. Um, John Mara, pick up the phone and call Robert Kraft. <laughs> it's laughable. It ain't going to happen because Belichick's not going to no, want to do it. But that's now, what they but need. I know what you mean. That's what I they know need. What you mean? You're right. There's somebody to get them back on the you know the right track. You know, but and and again, I you know, I hey, I, I don't know. You know, there's the Josh McDaniels out there who's been under a, a Belichick. But is the Giants fan base going to get behind a a Josh McDaniels, another New England head coach? I mean, I'd like That's to say... That's a problem. They screwed it up. They I know. screwed it up with Judge. They should have just hired it's McDaniels. Gonna, it's going to hurt that. It is. It is. And anything you know about the, 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 the situation anyway, I mean, from all accounts, it sounds like Belichick was a part of talking to the Mara family and getting Joe Judge to be the New York Giants head coach. So, yeah, I don't know if that ship sailed or gone or what. But, yeah, the head coach, the next GM, it, it's going to be a tough task. And now you also got to add into the quarterback conversation here too, where Daniel Jones, I do think if the, this last regime stayed in place with, with Joe Judge and company, I feel pretty confident that he probably would have been back as the quarterback. Now, I think that's totally in limbo. It depends on who's coming into town and who's the coach he hires and how do they evaluate and see Daniel Jones when they go back and watch tape, how they feel about him coming out in the draft. So, you know, with this too, it adds more questions about where does the roster go, where's the quarterback situation go to, and yeah, there's a lot of work to be done with the New York Giants. You can't pick up the option on Daniel Jones. His his co- total compensation for next year, I think, is in the range of four million dollars. Which, hey, keep him around as a backup if 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 need be, or just as an insurance policy. But we've seen enough from Daniel Jones, haven't we? I mean. The flaws that were there as a rookie are still there after still three there. seasons. Yeah. Holding the ball for too long, right. too many turnovers. No, just there's there's a, an instinctive, innate, visceral reaction 
to a guy that's a franchise quarterback. Now, wins go a long way toward convincing you a guy's a franchise quarterback, but there's just a way he carries himself, a way he performs, a way he throws the ball, a way he moves, that, that it, it just kind of screams off the screen that this guy is on the right side I hear you. Of, of, of good. And he's not. We haven't seen enough from him in three years to make us think he's on the right side of good. We've seen flashes. But flashes aren't going to sustain a career after three seasons, especially when you're on the brink of that $20 million or so decision as to whether or not to fully guarantee his salary for 2023. I think you just keep him for 2022. I get that. And then if if he plays and somehow the planets align and and all, all of a sudden, here it is, it's finally worked out, then good problem to have. You have to figure out how to keep him around without having the fifth year option already exercised. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Don't you don't have to don't 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 exercise the fifth year option. You're right. He's done nothing to justify that at this point. Don't get stuck and 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 corner yourself as an organization with that financial burden. I understand that. The fan base certainly is going to understand that. They're not going to want the fifth year option. And, you know, with having him there, again, it's not a, it doesn't sound like it's a great quarterback draft, you know, as far as the draft is concerned. So I don't know if there's an answer there. You got Daniel Jones. Maybe it's just another evaluation year. The one thing I'll say, it's hard to know what he is a little bit, like we've talked about, I know, in the past. It just It's hard because when you get the ball and say, set hut, and then the first thing you got to do is look to go, wait, did my guard or did my other guard get just run over? Can I actually look downfield to throw the football? It's hard to ever be good. You know, he's had some issues that I would say are a little tougher to deal with than most young quarterbacks. And, and hey, I, I wasn't the biggest Daniel Jones fan coming out in the draft. I know that. But at the same time, holy cow, it's hard to evaluate what he could possibly be when you're behind the worst offensive line in football. True. No run game. Agreed. You know, crappy. It's, it's, it's new offensive system every, t- every year he walks in the building. So that's where, yeah, like you said, you keep him around. Maybe you get another you know, other bridge-type quarterback to be there for the year and you figure out what you want to do. Maybe if there's a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or Watson that just hits you in the face, okay, you make that move. But if nothing like that, you know, doesn't hit you in the face, then you stand pat with Daniel Jones. Maybe get another, you know, like we said, bridge-type quarterback in here just in case crap happens or compete with him a little bit. And then you can evaluate him and buy yourself that year. And then, of course, think about your plan going forward. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the plan of the next regime a little bit. I I think that the bottom line is they've got far deeper problems than figuring out what to do with Daniel Jones. Yeah. They've got to get the right right. general manager in place, the right coach in place, so that if it does take some time to get the team pointed in the right direction, they can weather a 5-12 and They can weather yeah. a six and eleven, right. and they don't feel compelled to give in to the mob and and fire people because they don't want to be the ones who face the wrath of the media. I, I've been saying this for weeks, Chris. They don't want the mayor's ownership. They don't want to be the ones who become the public pin cushions. So they will throw them the guys. You know, they put them out there to be the pin cushions and when it all goes sideways they 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 they'll gladly turn the page and and go find somebody else one potential destination for Daniel Jones and I say this somewhat facetiously uh cuz Pat Shermer probably won't be back as the offensive coordinator although Dave Gettleman liked to blame Daniel Jones on Pat Shermer he was the offensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos Vic Fangio is out the Broncos are looking for a coach 
They're also going to be looking for an owner very soon. There was a key decision made yesterday in a Denver courtroom that opens the door for one of the things that has been quietly inevitable and is about to hit our radar screen pretty loudly. The Broncos are going to be for sale. We'll talk about that and all the other challenges facing a team that's got a lot of potential when PFC Live continues right after this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack. And save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Denver Broncos are moving closer to being sold after a ruling yesterday that dated back to the 1984 agreement in which Edgar Kaiser sold the team to Pat Bolin. There was a right of first refusal that was in that agreement that basically gave Kaiser the option of matching any offer that Pat Bolin would have to sell the team. That came up years ago when Bolin was going to sell a chunk of the team to John Elway. There was litigation then from Edgar Kaiser. It wasn't successful. Now it's the estate of Edgar Kaiser against the estate of Pat Bolin, and they tried to assert a right of first refusal that would have complicated, to say the least, an effort to sell the team now. That lawsuit resulted in a finding yesterday that the right of first refusal is dead, it's gone. Appeal rights still exist, but there's a sense of confidence in the organization that they're going to be able to move forward unfettered in an effort to sell the team. And that's where they are. You know, we've been dealing with, for years now, a group of trustees, three of them, that run the Broncos. This was planned by Pat Bolin. He was battling Alzheimer's. He got to a point where he's no longer going to be able to actually run the team. So he had trustees take over. And the ultimate mission of the trustees was to determine which of Pat Bolin's seven children would be best suited to be the one who runs the team. But the problem is all of them had to be on board with it. That, that was the factor that was never really publicized early on. If you can't get them all on board with the selection and you don't have the ability or the desire to buy out and they don't want to sell out to family members, you got to just throw your hands in the air and sell the team. And, yeah. and that's where we are after all these years. And it's amazing that the Broncos haven't been forced sooner by the league to sell the team because the league likes to have one person who's in charge, one person who casts votes, one person who is clearly and firmly the owner of the team. And I think the league's 
getting to the point where it ran out of patience for this for this situation resulted in what we're going to have, Chris. As soon as they hire a coach, we're going to hear that the Broncos are for sale. Now, that feels a little backward, but they got to hire a coach because it's not like you can sell the team like a car. Somebody's going to walk in and write you a check and drive it off the lot. It takes time to sell an asset of that magnitude. So they want to get the coach in place, get a good coach in place, and then the team is for sale. If you happen to have four or five billion dollars laying around, you can buy the Denver Broncos. Yeah, just uh, some some extra change in the in the cushion of the couch, no problem. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's where they are right now. You know, yeah, you hire a good coach. Of course, that makes it a a, a prettier situation that maybe somebody can financially get behind. But you talk about it all the time, Mike. I mean, ownership's a real thing. I mean, again, I don't think it's like you know totally. You know, off the rails to think the fact that man, when Mr. Bolin and, you know, the Alzheimer started to, to take over and those issues came about, we saw the the organization start to take kind of a, a downward turn to a degree. You know, I, I, I can speak specifically to being there in Denver, you know, and, and again, that that presence of the owner in the building, like you've talked about so much, where Mr. Bolin had just the right touch. And I don't think that was, a, you know, I don't think it was it was a, a coincidence that they were good for so long because, you know, he knew people. He was around the building. You know, we'd come, I'd come out of the, the locker room after practice and, hey, we got to get ready. For, and there's Mr. Bowling, you know, he's in the cafeteria sitting there. Hey, come over, sit Hide down. Hide the weed. The owner's here. Hide the weed. <laughs> the owner's here. Right. But he, you know, so there he was. He's walking around the building. But that presence is real. And, you know, it's a shame that it's come to this point for the for the Bolin family. But, uh, yeah, something's got to be done there, again, just to get, you know, organization, leadership, everything going in the right direction. We should have seen it, though. And, and I didn't understand the nuances of, you know, I thought I thought the trustees had the power and the ability to pick one of the seven kids, yeah. regardless of what the other six thought. Like it right. was this weird intra-family Willy Wonka competition where one of them is going to float away in the chocolate river, the other one's going to turn into a big blueberry, right? And eventually there's going to be one left that 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 hands back the everlasting gobstopper and passes the test and wins wins the team. The problem is the others had to be on board with it. And when you yeah, have yeah. multiple kids from first wife, multiple kids from second wife, there's going to be inherent friction definitely, and tension definitely. and resentment and dysfunction. This was never going to work. It was never, ever going to work. They should have just no. sold it from the get-go. But the best news is the asset continued to appreciate and appreciate and appreciate. And they're going to get you know, the seven kids when they sell this team. They're going to, they're going to have a nice little... Yeah. chunk of money we, we won't be crying for them their lives. No, they're all be crying no yeah. bake sales yeah. necessary for the bowling children <laughs> yeah. after they sell this yeah. team and carve it up seven ways that's for damn sure no but that's what's going to happen yeah and hey i they need a coach they need a quarterback they need an owner other than that they're fine but but it's true other than that they're fine yeah they've got a good a team that's been put together yeah they got a great general manager in in George Payton, you probably got some regret in Minnesota that they didn't decide last year, let's make our change now and let's make George Payton our general manager. I mean, he'd been around for a long time. He's he's slowly and gradually learned the ropes, and uh, they, they make the right coaching hire. They get a quarterback that can help be the difference. 
And they're going to be a contender, even though they're in a tough division with the Chargers and the Chiefs and the Raiders. Th- th- that could be a very interesting team and a very attractive I think that's asset. what it is, yeah. But I will say this. Right. Whoever buys the team, move your base of operations to Denver and be there every day. Yeah. Even if you're not meddling, be there every day. Be like Mr. Bolin and be around. You're going to get more out of your team. Don't, don't, don't buy. See, that's the thing. This shouldn't be a vanity play by somebody who has more money than they know what to do with. Yeah, right. 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 It shouldn't be something you, you just buy like a yacht that you, you, you get on it once every three months. You need to have passion. No doubt. For, That's what it is. For the team. Yeah. Whether it's a team that you already follow and have passion for, or you develop that passion once you write the check for $4 billion to buy it, you need to, to go all in. If you're going to do this, you need to be at a point in your life, just like, you know, with with Bezos and his rockets. If Bezos buys the team, put the rockets away. Right. And the Broncos become your your, your, your thing, passion your and rocket. your focus. If right. you're not ready to do that, right. don't buy the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I mean, you're not going to get a successful organization doing doing it the other way. That's for sure. You know, and, and, and yeah, it's amazing. You know, I, I, I feel for the Bowling family. They had that passion. The family had the passion. They really did to be that. Now, you said it right. It's just too many. So they can't decide who's the guy that's in power or, or who's the woman that's in power. They just can't. But they all love it. I've met, I think, the majority of the, the children. And it's, it's you know, the crown jewel of that family, the Denver Broncos. But, yes, you need an owner like that. You know, it, it's one of the great franchises in all of football. I mean, come on. Great stadium, down, downtown Denver. Uh, I mean, they got a great fan base. You know, it's passionate. They 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 sell that stadium out easily. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's got a lot of the things you need to be successful. Good facility that's just been updated there, not far from the stadium. And then you talk about what's on the field. Yeah, there's there's like a lot to like. Listen, there's a reason we heard names like Aaron Rodgers to Denver Broncos last year in the off season because like like. Like we've seen with Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, he was evaluating teams thinking he might get traded from the Green Bay Packers, and he was going, wait, that team right there has got some talent on it, and I might we could turn it around in a hurry. I mean, receivers, they got star receivers. They got tight ends. The offensive line's on the up and up. They got that. Running back, good. You know, quarterback's the only thing they're missing on the offensive side of the ball. Defensive side of the ball, you got Bradley Chubb, some other good linebackers and defensive linemen to go along with it. You got a superstar corner. You know, got a superstar safety in Simmons. And so there is. It's it's a it's an organization and a team that's not far off. And uh, this will be a big offseason to see who they hire as a head coach and just sprinkle a few extra players on this roster. And I'm with you, Mike. They're, they can be a contender next year. There's no doubt. We've seen it. What do we got? Seven new teams in the playoffs this year? And the and, and the, I mean, Denver could be one of those new teams next year. They're not that far. This is the first year that we've been able to say we had 14 one year, 14 the next year. There was 50% turnover, even with 14 teams in the playoffs. Seven new teams in, seven teams from last year out. So, yes, you can you can turn it around quickly in the NFL and make yourself into a contender. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Look, I, I'm a firm believer that the grass is no greener anywhere. Yeah, no, he's staying in Green Bay. Green I'm Bay. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But – one of the options available for the Broncos, if they're evaluating every potential quarterback and ways they could get them, they could call the Browns and offer something for Baker Mayfield because the Browns have yet 
to extend Baker Mayfield. They've yet to give him the long-term commitment. Andrew Barry, general manager of the Browns, met with reporters yesterday. Here's some of what Barry had to say about a contract for Baker Mayfield that will expire after the 2022 season. Are you comfortable playing Baker in 2022 without a new contract? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty comfortable. We have a, a lot of guys that, you know, will have gone into their final year or something along those lines. I mean, that that's not something that really goes into the to the calculus for us. They're, every year you'll have guys that are on expiring deals. Lame duck quarterback, is it uncomfortable? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would categorize it that way, Tony. I mean, again, you have a number of players across positions that are entering the final years of their deals. So um, that's not that's not something that's really top of mind for me. I think the reality of it is any of us who work in the NFL, every year's a, every year's a prove it year. Um, to the contract question in general, Dan, I think you guys probably know me well enough that I kind of march the beat of my own drum in terms of whatever contract precedents are out there. So we'll deal with each situation on an individual basis. Here's the bottom line. It's always different with your quarterback. It's always different when your quarterback's in the final year of his contract, especially when it's a guy who was the first overall pick in the draft and a guy who is presumably your future. Where are you as it relates to your attitude and your approach toward the guy who is supposedly your future? And I feel like, Chris, what they've decided to do is roll the dice on this. Mm -hmm. Let's wait and see. If he bounces back, they expect him to bounce back. Yeah. That implies a lot. We expect him to bounce back means we think he sucked this year. Yeah, yeah. What, right. What's he bouncing back from? We expect him to bounce back. Bounce back from what? And so he was bad. And they would rather, they would rather not make the financial investment. Even right now, I think you could get him at a pretty good deal. He's headstrong. He's got a high opinion of himself. That's fine. I'm not being critical. I'm just stating facts. Yeah. But I think you could probably get him for less now than you would have gotten him for before this season. Even then, they don't want to get themselves into a spot where they say, after a year or two, what in the F did we do? But, and, and it's funny because Andrew Barry's the one who tried to tell us all months ago that the Jared Goff and Carson Wentz contracts aren't a cautionary tale. I, I thought it was baloney then. It's even more baloney now yeah. because they are the cautionary tales. That's the reason they haven't done it yeah. with Baker Mayfield. That's the reason they're not doing it now. That's the reason they're willing to wait a year. And, hey, if he ends up being pro bowler, first team all pro, playoffs, Super Bowl, whatever, they'll pay whatever they have to pay. Good problem to have. Exactly. But they're not, they're not going to pay this guy and put themselves in a position where a year or two from now – they are waking up every day saying, why did we do that yeah, with Baker Mayfield? That's right. I mean, first off, it sound, he sounded, Andrew Barry sounded like a guy there that he, he wasn't, he's not intimidated by this situation. He's not going to buckle. That, that didn't sound like that type of answer where he was like nervous, like, oh, oh gosh, I don't know what we're going to do with the quarterback. Uh, it sounded like he's already made up his mind. Like, no, he's not getting a contract because we saw things this year that were concerning, like you like you talked about. I mean, bounce back means we didn't, you know, we didn't we didn't go forward enough as far as our development and and what we're trying to do with the quarterback position. And it'd be one of those things too if they did give him a long term contract. You know, there's enough evidence to sit there and go, man, what were we thinking doing that? What were we thinking doing that? Like we we saw this coming. And now here we are stuck with having to pay him money and it's on our books or the salary cap and all those issues. So, okay, another year of evaluation. 
You know, because yes, you've seen some of the bad and some things where you go, hmm, I don't know about that. You know, even the first half of the 2020 season wasn't all that great. But, you know, also you can justify another year of evaluation and see where it goes and, you know, a little bit like, hey, the grass isn't always greener. And because you have seen some good from the guy. You have. You saw him go into Kansas City in a playoff game and move the ball up and down the field on the Chiefs defense last year. You know, we've, we've talked about that. We saw little snippets this year of some good play. It's been there to at least justify, hey, we'll bring him back. There's talent. He has a, he has a big right arm. There's no doubt he's got some leadership skills. We know that too. There's some moxie and some fire about him. Like when he gets knocked out of bounds and he gets up and goes first down with a hurt shoulder. Like you could see the team likes him and rallies around him from that standpoint, but no way do you give him a long-term deal. So uh, again, I don't know if this means they bring in another quarterback to compete with him a little bit, if they open it up with Case Keenum, just to light a fire under his butt to a degree. Um, but I understand them bringing him back for another year and evaluating this. You you don't let him go unless something just falls in your lap, like uh, Russell Wilson again or a Deshaun Watson, to where then you go, okay, well, they're often they're offering this to get him. We we can do that. We'll take that for but but I don't think they're just going to throw him off the ship for for nothing. And this is why it's important for the Browns to create the impression for now that they're all in with Baker Mayfield. This is why I believe they they took advantage of the fact that they own 132nd of NFL Network and put out the word on Sunday of Week 18 that that they plan to move forward with Baker Mayfield. If you are perceived as being desperate, anxious to trade him, to get somebody else, the price goes down for what you get for Baker Mayfield. The price goes up for whoever you replace him with. They need to to have the attitude. And Shereen and I were talking about this yesterday. I mean, every time I buy a car, I work myself into a legitimate state of mind where – I don't want the car, and that's when I get my best deal. The problem is, by the time they give me the best deal, I truly have decided I don't want the car, and I have to undo that, right? Because that's the only way you get the best deal is to convince yourself that you don't want it. That convinces them you don't want it. Then they give you the best number, and you got to tell yourself all over again, okay, maybe I do want this car. And I think that's what the Browns are trying to do here. They're, they're trying to convince themselves and everyone else that they want Baker Mayfield because if they sell that legitimately and genuinely, somebody maybe calls and says, no doubt. What, what do you want for Baker Mayfield? And whoever makes the first call in those negotiations is always operating at a position of weakness. So uh, I think that's what they're trying to set up. So it's not going to be easy, but uh, I, I think they will consider all their options privately and quietly and discreetly, but they're not going to be desperate. They're not going to put themselves in a position where they have to overpay for a replacement and take less than what they think they should get if they would trade Baker Mayfield to someone else. No, I, I think you're spot on there, and I think also what's at play there with them making this you know, last Sunday slash report and all that is you, you, know, you instill some confidence in him and your, and your team, too, in him if he is back as your quarterback next year. You haven't publicly downgraded him. They're like, eh, we don't know if we really want him here and he's that good. Oh, wait, he's the quarterback next year? Hey, guys, buy in. He is good. Like, so that's where you got to be careful, too, not only for if you want to have the sale or trade him, but if he is back as your quarterback, you don't want to, you know, cut, you know, cut one of his legs off here as far as the ability to lead the team and be the guy, too. So that, I think they're playing it just right, and I think I, I understand it. Good. 
Don't buckle just because he was the number one pick and that you got to justify you know, the fact that he was the number one pick. The good thing is that that regime that picked him is gone. So they, this, this regime can sit there and evaluate it for what it is. They're not trying to justify something they did four years ago. And I think that will help them too in the fact that they don't throw money at him and you just sit back and let this play out and see where it goes and see if Baker Mayfield can up his game this year with Kevin Stefanski. And they need to help him too, like we talked about. There needs to be a few other receivers. The offense has to grow in the passing game a little bit. There's no doubt about that too. Chris, another reason for them to take this position, Mayfield very sensitive, and I don't mean that as criticism. He's sensitive to what's being said and done within the organization. One of the reasons he was upset with the team this year was because the internal radio show criticized him from time to time. And hey, I got no problem with it. We all got to be on the same page here. You know, we've got enemies everywhere. We don't need enemies within. Yeah. And I need to know if I'm Baker Mayfield and I'm committing myself to this surgery to repair the torn labrum and I'm all in for this year, I need to know that you're all in with me. At a minimum, I need you to be projecting that to the world. And, you know, the reality is they may be projecting it to him too, but as always, that's subject to change if you can thread the needle on an acceptable trade of Baker Mayfield and an acceptable trade for his replacement. But I think they know that they can't let him dangle, that he's going to get pissed. Yeah. And maybe he does get to the point where he takes the initiative and says, I want to be traded because you're not doing enough to make me feel like you want me to be here. So that's another that's another reason no doubt. for them to have yeah. the posture they currently have. Yeah, I agree. You're right. That's a, it's another issue. You're right. You don't want to upset that. It becomes, again, yeah, dysfunctional. Now he does want to get traded, like you said. Now the value's lower for that trade, whatever. They're, they're, they do themselves no good by making Baker Mayfield look bad in this situation in, 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 in any way. It really doesn't. And, and again, I, I think they're totally justified in their stance. And I don't know how Baker Mayfield you know, could really throw too much of a fit to look at it and go, wait, I deserve an extension. I, I deserve something long-term here. I think he's realistic enough to know that, you know, yes, there's still this is still left. There's a lot to be debated here, and that he needs to play better to to solidify that next contract. And he'd rather bet on himself than take whatever he could justify right now. He knows his value's down. I'm not going to do a deal with my value down. I'll come back and prove myself next year, and then either you or someone else is going to have to give me much more than what I would get right now. That's part of the moxie that has made him so successful. Let's yeah. go ahead and take a break. Were the officials successful or not in Week 18? After further review for the final weekend of the regular season, when PFT Live continues right after this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.